You are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach. And although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority Podcast. And today, if you've ever wondered about scaling your business and how you do that, then today's episode is for you. I am so happy to welcome Raul Haran. Oh, I got this right before the show. Haran, ah, I'll get you to say it afterwards. Anyway, Raul is a growth strategist that knows how to influence top line revenue and bottom line profit by aligning marketing, product, and operations for growth. Now, he doesn't have an MBA. He didn't come from a big name consulting background. He didn't take some online courses or buy a franchise that automatically gives him authority to help you. He's just been blessed to have worked with bootstrapped founders to double 5X companies with millions of revenue using his strategies, design revenue teams that produce 50 million in sales and made it to the Inc. 5000. He's been responsible for over 25 million in direct response ad spend. That's impressive. And he has trained thousands of entrepreneurs in pay, private paid programs and live events. Plus, he has led strategy for multiple digital teams across the globe in 12 time zones. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's, it's an honor to be here, Kim. Thanks for having me. So, Raul, what I would love for you to do is just take a few minutes while we kind of get into the show here and just introduce yourself and tell a bit about your story. How did you get into all of this? Well, if, if I knew it was intentional, I mean, thing, every action I take now on is intentional, but this was all actually by accident. So I was actually trying to start a software company in 2015, 2016, and we... I partnered with a gentleman online from New York. Uh, we were like in, in a group trying to build software. We never met each other. So this was back in the Skype days, if you remember that. And uh, we decided to say, hey, let's try to conquer the market together. So we partnered up. We started working. And then we started interviewing the market and figured out, hey, the, the market we want to serve actually needs marketing and sales support, not software. So we scratched our heads like, OK, let's figure it out. So we figured it out. We created our first company together. Again, haven't met the guy. Uh, back then, we, we we caught up in 2019 in person here in San Diego, did some surfing. Um, and that's where it started. I was working at the bank at the time. So I was doing the whole uh, get the, the suit and tie every day, come in and get the license, get my licenses and all that fun stuff. And then was building this. And it took it to the point where we were, I looked at our roster. I mean, we, we weren't huge. It was like a little boutique. Mm-hmm. I had like 19 clients. And that took me out of the, the day to day. And I went all in into online entrepreneurship. And uh, from there, we served the clients. I started learning a lot about digital marketing and just getting like cutting my teeth around everything that it took. 
at the end of that, it wasn't a, it was like a season, it wasn't like a stint. It was more like a season because we figured out we were building something we both weren't passionate about at the time. So we decided to part way as friends and I went on to help out other digital marketing agencies grow online. Uh, one was going through a merger acquisition. Uh, one of them, the same one transitioned into the, the, the owner coming back and I was sort of helping the owner doing trainings here in San Diego, trainings in Austin, private client masterminds and just deepening my skill set around marketing and sales until the, he finally got bought out and the agency that took over, we helped triple, almost triple in less than a year. They had seven people. I forgot what month it was. I should remember the month, but we had seven people. And then by the time that I was stepping out, we had 21 people and uh, it was a wild ride. And from there, during that journey, I had a mentor at the time who told me, you should write this down. I'm like, what should I write down? Just write down the stuff that you learned. And that comprised of my first book, Productive Profits. And I took that to become a consultant and an advisor to Bootstrap Founders and have been uh, thankfully been able to grow ever since. Wow. Wow. Love the story. Yeah, I, I fell into publishing. I, I never had any <laughs> intentions of becoming a publisher. And uh, yeah, I kind of fell into that one too. I would love to ask you, Raul, what's been some of the difficult things in this? Because you've had uh, a lot of great results, but were there some difficult times in there as well? Oh, yeah. Um, from trans, I mean, from the very beginning, transitioning from the corporate 10 to 6 luxury banking hours to the entrepreneurship 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., uh, so that's stressful, uh, from running your own business. I think you start learning what real stress, in my opinion, what like some of the real stressors are, uh, in, in work also leading teams and figuring out that, you know, I might've been a really crappy leader in the beginning and mm. knowing that if I wanted to improve and lead other people, I needed to become a better human. I remember, uh, I think it was the beginning of last year or one of the clients, but I remember just self-reflecting of how much trust a client had in me. I'm like, wow, this is so valuable that I just need to continually, it's, it's a never ending game of improvement, mm -hmm. but I just need to be a better human to lead other clients and help them reach what they, what they want to achieve. Uh, and I take that seriously. So that's the number one thing, just the pitfalls of self-development and, you know, failing as a, as a, as a person, but also trying to figure out how I can become better. And then there's always the difficulties of uh, market, products, positioning, tailwinds, headwinds, different stressors, working with different types of people, uh, different bureaucracies that can be built into startups, which is crazy to me, but it happens. And I think wherever there's humans, there's that tendency to have bureaucracy. Um, I mean, we can dive into any one of those, but there's a lot of different things to come to kind of our opportunities to mm -hmm. overcome in the entrepreneurship world. Did you ever feel like you were suffering from imposter syndrome? I think everyone does. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think everyone does. No, I think I read it. Where did I read this? I read it that it's normal. As you start achieving more, it's normal for you to be able to self-question and doubt yourself and your ability. Yeah. And even just like seeing what you've been able to do, the people that you've been able to help, sometimes we take it for granted because the, the best analogy that I've heard is that we take riding a bike, if you know how to ride a bike, for granted. We take surfing for granted. We take swimming for granted. And for the other people, those things are like nearly impossible or they've never learned. And I think when you start doing that, kind of it's an own, it's your own mind game. But yeah. oh yeah, no, I totally, I don't know if I suffer, but I combat it every day. <laughs> 
I love that. Thank you for being so honest. Cause I think, you know, especially in today's world, it's, it's something that is there, but is not always talked about. And, and I think people are afraid to admit that they suffer from it. Cause maybe other people would see, see them as weak, but I think every true entrepreneur struggles with that at some mm -hmm. point. Like if you're, if you're achieving and you're growing, I think sometimes it can just get overwhelming and you, you start to wonder if you're really cut out to be who you're meant to be. Which is crazy. And I mean, anyone who tells you that they don't have imposter syndrome, like they're lying because uh, it is, it's part of the human condition. I think it's part of the like, high achievers, but also I think it's, as a as a self-reflection right i'm not here to to impose or just to to judge all imposter syndrome but i think it might be a good indicator that you're on the right path and mm, it's something yes. that it's almost like a test like yeah making sure like okay do i really believe what i believe why am i moving towards this path how can i improve who can i be around to make mm. you know normal like growing normal mm. um and also being able to share that because I think ambitious people need more ambitious people. Like we, it's, it's rare to find someone who's improving in their own life. Uh, not that no one is, but some people just choose to chill and that's okay. But if you're seeking to do better than you were yesterday, that energy can shy people away or unattract others. And to find more people in that same mindset geographically can be tough state of yeah. life can be tough so i think it's important to have alignment and uh, a collective of people who are in the right ambition well all i can say is a big amen to that one um we my husband and i moved to nova scotia last september from ontario which mm -hmm. is a very um bustling area in terms of you know entrepreneurship and that and we're up in the very end of nova scotia and it's not very entrepreneurially minded lovely mm. people lovely lovely people but they're you know you don't get a lot of entrepreneurship discussions up here so mm. i've had to find uh, other avenues to uh connect with people with like-minded people and i think you know if you're feeling that way i think you need to connect with people that motivate you and encourage you and inspire you and <clears throat> maybe even sometimes give you a little kick in the behind oh yeah <laughs> i think we need that's the beauty of like online community and be able to create and foster those communities i mean it's kind of wild to me that the first company we ever incorporated was with a dude that we never met in person but we just connected so well multiple modalities of communicating and then even when we met in person like like he's been to our he went to my wedding and like he's like a good family friend and it's mm -hmm. it's cool to build relationships and they do start online sometimes if you seek out for the right intentions yeah awesome all right so i know you've come prepared to talk about how to differentiate and scale your offerings by satisfying your clients deepest desires so i'm really <laughs> curious to hear where you're going to go with this one so i'm going to let you loose for a bit to share and then we'll okay. talk about it no, absolutely so I call this peak positioning, and this is not just something that's regurgitated and, and, and the old stuff brought to you in, in a different package. This is the number one issue I see when you're growing a company online and you're growing or scaling a product or service. 
because the sales tactics, the marketing tactics, the ways that we'll experience sales and marketing messages will change over time. And I don't care too much about that right now. They'll change, they'll evolve. I don't care too much about the tactics. I want to look at the principles. I want to see what are the things that will not change too dramatically over time. Obviously, they'll improve in decimals, et cetera, in basis points. But I want to look at what are the principles of peak positioning? What does that actually mean to have peak positioning? Well, your product or service delivers a transformation. If you're selling services and you're just selling services, you will be a commodity. If you say, I'll do X, Y, and Z for you for this dollar amount, great. I will look for someone to do that cheaper, faster, or better than you. But if you tell me you provide a sort of transformation or a new outcome that I can experience, that's different because that's those are services or products packaged together. Mm-hmm. Now, when we're creating transformation for our clients, I want you to imagine like there's a, an A point and a B point. And then in between is your product or service, the staircase to get from A to B. Mm-hmm. You can package that in your proprietary service. You can package that with your IP. You can package that with different products, services, uh, automation, any way you want to bundle it. But essentially, you get someone from A to B. Now, there's different things that are moving us towards B, towards the outcome. And there's different things that are dragging us away, that are pushing us away from achieving that end outcome. So in order for us to want to make a change, we we have to have significant pain for us to actually want to make change. There has to be significant pain for us to actually want to start taking action now. And our need for change has to be greater than our pain. Mm, yep. Our need for change has to be like, okay, I will suck it up and start taking action now because if not, you'll just tolerate pain and, and you'll never take action. So when you're looking in the marketplace and you're solving a problem, it has to be important enough for people to want to act and act now. Now, the other thing that's dragging us up or pulling up or pulling us up or dragging us down to achieving transformation is our belief system. We can have Mm -hmm. positive beliefs that help us want to achieve this thing. And then we have negative beliefs that are debilitating us or that are dragging us down. And those beliefs are in three different segments in time, in our past, in our present state, in our future state. In our past, we can be like self-critical of ourselves, you know, doubting our identity, imposter syndrome, like, oh, like I, I'm not good enough. I'm not like, uh, I'm ashamed. Or in our present state that I just don't feel comfortable with what I'm doing. I'm uncertain. I'm afraid. I don't know if this is the right thing to do. Like you just have that hesitancy. Or you might have debilitating beliefs about the future. Like I'm, a f- I'm fearful about the future. I worry too much. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Like what's going to happen down the line. So those are beliefs that can actually stop you from creating a transformation. So in order to flip that, we need to identify what are those empowering beliefs that help us achieve that transformation. And you want to think about this in your client's mind, in your ideal Mm -hmm. client's mind. Because what the exercise that I go through and that I tell clients to go through is identifying your ideal client's inner desires. And it's essentially an outline of this, like what beliefs do they have about themselves, about the present, about the future? What worldview shaped that belief? What pain are they in? How do they describe their pain? How do they describe their outcome? How do they describe themselves, their situation? How do they see themselves? Their self-identity equals the activities that they'll take. And then also, what words should we use in order to empower their beliefs? What is that one belief that'll help them create that transformation and that change? And as you start outlining these things, I like to thank Seth Godin for this inspiration. Um, In his book, This is Marketing. So this exercise is an inspiration from Seth Godin is to map 
your products and services based on the two emotions, the, the emotions that your transformation delivers. Now, a little different than Seth Godin is I want you to dissect all of your products and services. Like what are the, all the things that you can do and map them on that plot? So let's say for desire number one, I'll just use me for an example when clients work with me, they want to have performance, they want to feel confident and they want to feel safe, which is a little weird, but that's who they are. They want to feel safe and they want to have performance. So they both of them, they want to feel in control. Mm -hmm. So when I map my products or services, it's, it's an alignment with how much safety does this give the, the client and how much performance. And when you start doing this, you start to see, oh, maybe my core offering isn't at the peak. Yeah. So for example, I have like, you could have a blog, a podcast, audiobooks, you could have courses, you can have do-it-yourself trainings, you can have workshops, or you can just have a service and do it for them. All those different products and services fall in between the two desires that yeah. your ideal clients have. And the goal that your goal now as an entrepreneur and business owner is to get creative. How can you package, rearrange, reposition, and create peak positioning so that your new offering, not just a service, but the bundle and compilation of different offers mm -hmm. or products or services are in alignment with your client's peak desires, the two things that they want most out of their transformation. And when you do that, it's not about being word smart or just having like using words to be clever. It's more about here is how you're going to see this offering mm. differently. And you back that up with pricing, with how you show up in the marketplace, with your business model, and with um, you know the back-end profit levers. And we can dive into that if you want. But that's the first step. And that's the most important that, that I see in the marketplace. Because a lot of business owners have the right thing. They have a business model. They know where their, their P&L is. They know what, who their customers are. But their offer tanks. Their offer just yes. does not work. Why? I hope that this kind of helps you identify how, like where it can fail, but also how to reposition yourself in alignment with your ideal clients. Wow. You know, when you were talking about that, especially between the safety and the performance, the word that came to me is sort of a risk assessment hmm. because they, they're willing to risk as long as they feel safe doing so mm -hmm. as that balance between, you know, getting the results, but how much do I have to risk to get those results? And so if I have to risk more than I'm comfortable risking mm -hmm. to get that result, the answer is going to be no. But if you can get it in that safety zone of risk, then the answer would be yes. So I, I love how you, you said that because, when you really understand your client, you know, sometimes the way I describe it is, is when you can describe their problem or speak to their problem better than they can describe it themselves. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. You, yeah. And when Th you can this, do that, go ahead. Sorry, there might be a time lag here. There, this weekend, I was listening to an audiobook. And the author was saying, if you're doing X, Y, and Z, and you feel X, A, B, and C, like I wrote this for you. I'm like, oh, okay. Immediately I bought his physical book. Cause I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, it's rare for someone in, in, in my, in my space to understand me. So I, mm -hmm. I'm willing to pay extra to figure out, are they going to help me solve more problems or help me yeah. rediscover something that I didn't know? 
or rediscover something that I didn't know, but I didn't see it in the same way. So even when you do that, and like you mentioned, the in my case, I would be the prospect. I knew, oh, like, oh, wow, they know what they're talking about, even though I just, it was the intro of the book, of the audio book. Mm-hmm. I know what they're talking about. This seems worthwhile. Let's invest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you, I, you said that you had one other area you felt like you could talk about there. I'm going to let you loose for another few more minutes. Oh, yeah. So this is the forefront of creating offers. Now we need to align that to your business mm-hmm. model. And there's a lot of different formats in order to, for you to make money online. That's probably, I can't go too broad here because I don't know yeah. who's listening to this, their business, et cetera. But on the back end, as you identify, like what are the levers that I can pull if I want to increase profitability for the business? Um, these are seven levers that I've identified. Now, again, I only teach from experience. So I do have that lack of like all understanding on every single subject matter. But for the seven profit levers that I've identified uh, and that I've pulled personally with uh, with clients and with teams, I like to kind of just go through the seven quickly and briefly so that you can start seeing how do I map my offerings, yes. identify my business model, and from there, figure out how I can, you know, focus on a couple of these levers to derive more profit. So the seven levers are pricing and yep. The pricing is, is more than just setting a number. There's so many ways to price. Uh, and depending on if you're doing e-commerce products, if you're doing services, uh, you can price on value. You can price on creating like a productized service. You can price on hours, but I highly recommend not doing so. No, so pricing too. in itself is an art form. Uh, the other key thing is lifetime value. Like mm-hmm. what is the lifetime value of your client and how can you increase that relationship? Because the inverse of lifetime value is how valuable are you to the client? the client's not going to stick around if you are not valuable to them. Like the two R's to unlocking LTV is results and relationship. The yes. more results, the more relationship, the longer clients will stay on. Yeah. The third profit lever is operational expenses and labor efficiency. Now, I'm not a CFO, so I'm not going to tell you to cut costs for you to grow. I'm not going to be that guy. But I will tell you, like, how can you be more effective with the teams, the tool, and the technology that you have right now? What yeah. trainings, what support, what empowerment, what tools... How can you support them? How can you become a better leader for your team to be more effective? The fourth profit lever is sales volume. Mm -hmm. How do you increase transaction rate? How do you shorten the sales process? Um, How do you increase the velocity of sales? So the speed between sales. And then profit levers, uh, the last three are pretty similar. They're all tied in the same vein of upsell, upgrade rates, win back rates, and referrals. So that ties back under the lifetime value profit lever. Like, yes. how do you solve more problems for the clients? How to identify new opportunities? And how do you go about that? And it might be tempting to look at all these seven and say, I'm just going to do all of them for the next quarter. Like, don't. don't oh, do you'll that. burn yourself so badly. And just you'll focus quit on before one. you ever get any, any results. <laughs> yeah, just focus on one. Because when you focus on one, revenue driving activities are not linear. Yeah, they're interwoven. So if you focus on one, you're naturally going to pick up another and then pick up another one. And then you might pick up a third or a fourth. But just focus on one that you need right now. Is it you need increase on pricing or your clients are only sticking around for four months or, you know, you always have to find new clients. You never get referrals. Mm-hmm. So identifying which area do you focus on and then create the strategies and the tactics. But the principles that we're just discussing here, those won't change. You'll need those. Yeah. Wow. That is awesome. Thank you so much. 
we're going to shift gears here because you mentioned you are an author. So first of all, <laughs> how many books have you written? Two bigger books, and I put bigger in air quote, and then two smaller books, like guides or little little trainings. So I think four in total. So, so which one relates most to what you're doing now? Growth Plan, the one that I just released, uh, teaches everything that we just went over, the profit levers, the inner desires. Um, the first one was more of a compilation of the principles to growing uh, companies, like the basic principles. Growth Plan is more around how to drive revenue and do that profitably because for bootstrapped and small business owners, we don't have the luxury of using other people's money. It's our money and it's uh, our name on the line. Awesome. That is wonderful. Okay. I'm going to ask you the question that I ask every single author who comes on the show. So if you're a regular listener, you already know what's coming next, but here we go. What was the good, the bad, and the ugly about writing and publishing your first book? The first one, oh my gosh. The, the good was that I was able to use the audio transcription back in the day and speak the book into writing. The, the, the ugly, I don't know, I want to go straight to the ugly, which is like editing that sucker. <laughs> like I could, I had friends and I had had like uh, colleagues and peers like help at, uh, copy edit it. But when it comes to like speaking in my tone and it's being my first book, I wanted to own that craft. And I even know authors that spent too much on ghostwriters and stuff like that. And it's still, they still write it themselves. So I wanted to focus on my craft. Uh, but then the bad was, hmm, what was the bad? Well, I don't know if it was bad, but it, I did launch it March 2020. And something else may have been <laughs> happening in March 2020. <laughs> so, hey, we're here. It works. Good book, I wasn't going to wait. Climate, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, hey, it, it took me to where we're at now. So I, I don't regret yes. a thing. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny. Sometimes timing and launching a book means everything, right? Like at that point when you launched it, the world was just starting to fall apart. So you might yep. have not seen as many results because the world just kind of went into panic mode. But then after that, your book would have been like, oh, I've got to get this book because I've got to totally completely shift and pivot my life. And oh and yeah, <laughs> maybe I got to become an entrepreneur now. And <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, we'll figure it out. But I think it's the constant promotion of the book and just making mm. sure that it's up to date. So those are the key yeah. things. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You mentioned about working with ghostwriters and um, I'm currently putting together something very special for the author to authority audience. Uh, I will be able to give you the link for it soon, but I'm putting together a, res a free resource called seven questions to ask before hiring a publisher. Oh, okay. And one of the questions that I'm going to cover is, you know, how do you find a publisher that you're going to work with that's going to capture your voice mm. and your message? Because there are ghostwriters out there, my company specializes in it, where we specialize in capturing the client's voice and creating well-written books at the same time. So there are ghost writers out there who can do that, but you have to, you have to find the right person to work with. And, you know, you just don't go with anybody. 
If you're yeah. using this book to build your business, then you have to work with the right people. And I think it's the same too when you're looking for mentorship in your business, because there's so many people out there who are teaching and training. And I think, you know, when you're finding the right person to work with, don't just go with the first person, whether it be publishing, whether it be business mentorship, check them out, interview them. You yeah. know, they're interviewing you, but you interview them. And, it, and if you don't feel comfortable with that person, then they're probably not the right one for you. I couldn't agree more. There, there's a, it's a, I have a mental model for, for selling productized services, but it's in alignment with this, that as a, a client or a prospect, like you have to align on three things, mm -hmm. the attitude, yeah. the business model makes sense for both of you and the product, meaning the product is you got something they want and you can actually fulfill on that thing that they want. And, but the, the attitude is always something that's, I'll put it to the side and know that you have to mesh well with that person. And, uh, and I think that like you captured that perfectly. <laughs> Thanks. Well, we're coming up to the end here, Raul. So two things. Uh, first of all, how can people connect with you? So if they've, you know, really enjoyed this episode, they want to get your books or they want to connect with you personally, how can they do that? And then secondly, one final closing thought. So the best way to connect with me is just the website. That's dogoodwork.io. That's dogoodwork.io. And you'll get a, a custom guide of what makes sense for you with three resources and recommendations on which book to read based on your state and business. And a closing thought is the one that I always leave with. And if I'm speaking on stage or doing lovely episodes like this, uh, that your journey matters. Mm -hmm. That sometimes we get too caught up in the outcomes and too caught up in the, the end goal when, and we compromise when in reality, your journey determines yes. your destination. So focus on that. Yeah. Wow. I say that to my husband. He's, he's very end focused. And I'm like, you got to enjoy the journey. We're going on an adventure. He hates it when I say that. <laughs> that usually means we're getting, we're out driving and we're getting lost somewhere or the traffic's really uh, oh, yeah. tight <laughs> or we make a wrong turn, which happens when I'm navigating. <laughs> oh, it's okay, man. dear. We're on an adventure. And, you know, moving to a, an area we've never been in before, that's been happening quite a lot where we turn down the wrong road because we have no clue where we're going. And even sometimes Google doesn't take us the right way either. Oh, my so. gosh. <laughs> we're on an adventure today. And he's like, uh, yeah, I know. I know you hate it when I say it, but it is the truth. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, for direction and GPS, it also applies, but also for your business as well, because there's always going to be hurdles and, and difficulties. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Raul. I just want to mention to the audience, we do have a similar episode. So uh, always love to cross promote episodes. So if you've enjoyed this one, you will also enjoy episode 366 with 66 with Craig Andrews, how to shorten high ticket sales cycles. So make sure that you go on your favorite podcast app, scan back to episode 366. If you're on YouTube, go to the author to authority playlist, scan back. It will be there as well. Thank you so much, Raul, for joining us today. It has been a truly a pleasure having you on the show. 
This Kim, has this been Raul fun. Hernandez and Kim Thompson Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the very next episode. Bye now. You've been listening to the Author to Authority podcast. The extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.